Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Trustee Table, a new podcast series from NAIS that provides insights and information for trustees, board chairs, and school administrators on critical governance and leadership issues. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Governance and Leadership, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Scott Bauer. Scott is a professor and associate dean in the School of Education and Human Development at the University of Colorado, Denver, and the developer and lead faculty member of the School Leadership Team Experience Institute for NIAS. Scott, thank you for taking a seat at the table today. Hi, Anne-Marie. That's great to be here. Well, it's really great to have you. So we've done a lot of work together helping school leadership teams think about plan change, And I'm excited to talk with you about what this looks like from the board perspective. One of the major tasks of an independent school board is to engage in strategic thinking and goal setting. How might trustees think about change in terms of strategic planning? Well, Anne-Marie, when speaking about change, it's helpful to distinguish between strategy and operations. Strategies involve the big picture, long-term aspirations, and define the future the school is trying to reach. Operations are the day-to-day, week-to-week specifications about what stakeholders have to do to realize these aspirations. Here's an example. A strategic goal might be to grow the school's endowment by 50% in three years. How the development team plans to go about reaching this goal would be operational in nature. Another example might be that a school would set a goal to ensure that all lower school students read proficiently by the end of second grade. The curriculum, pedagogy, and staffing needing to realize this would be embodied in an operational plan. It's important to remember that strategy is the board's bailiwick, with the head of school and his or her leadership team as advisors in support when it comes to framing the vision. Operational planning is the head of school's responsibility with his or her leadership team and possibly with their staff and expert knowledge and support, so a consultant or um, someone with some particular expertise for a particular Mm -hmm. program. The board, of course, has a few very particular, extremely important operational tasks. For example, selecting the head of school and running its own operations, committees, committee meetings, and so on. Trustees need to be kept well-informed of operational plans, specific actions and timelines, And it's the trustee's responsibility to ensure that leaders are accountable for the results on these plans. But I wouldn't expect trustees to be telling school leaders how to achieve a strategic priority any more than I would expect to tell my doctor how to treat an ailment I have. My doctor is the medical professional. The head of school and the leadership team are the educational and operational experts. And that's why the board hired them, right? Exactly. Well, there's definitely some crossover when thinking about change from the board level versus the school level. I really appreciate how you delineate between strategic and operational goals. Um, This is an important differentiation for trustees to remember. So change, especially in organizations that have been around for a long time, can be tough. Um, What are some of the key elements of change theory and how might understanding this help inform trustees during the implementation process? You know me pretty well, Anne-Marie, so I'm sure you know I'm smiling that you asked about change theory. (laughs) Um, First, it's important to distinguish between planned change and change that might arise as a reaction to something spontaneous or even to a sudden inspiration. A few years ago, management expert Peter Vail wrote that today we may feel like we're in permanent white water, that the pace of change and the suddenness of change is greater than ever before. I think we'd probably have to agree with that. 
Yes, absolutely. The rate of change in just technology advances alone have really shifted the educational landscape and how we define teaching and learning. I agree. But it's also true that much of what trustees do is plan change. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to suggest that they're judged primarily by efforts to intentionally improve their schools. Mm -hmm. Thinking about plan change brings me back to change as three steps or cats as short, or for short, a model generally attributed to one of the founders of social psychology, Kurt Lewin. Briefly, Lewin said that all change starts with unfreezing, examining the status quo, observing the gap between the real and the ideal, and helping everyone see a need for change. Unfreezing is followed by moving, setting a direction, taking an action, involving stakeholders. He called step three refreezing, which involves creating new norms and routines, providing training and development to make sure that implementers have the skills needed to make the changes stick, and rewarding and supporting new ways of doing things. Very important for trustees to remember that we've learned over the years from this model is that we're often quite bad at unfreezing, helping people see the need for change. And this is really quite critical for the board to think about in its strategic role especially in organizations that have been successful for many, many years. People naturally cling to well-rehearsed routines that have worked in the past, even when the landscape around them has shifted. Trustees need to take the time and use evidence to help others see a need for change and the possibility and preference for new ways of doing and being. Here, I think trustees can be especially sensitive to helping answer the question, why does a new ambitious strategic vision for our school make sense? And why does it make sense now? Those are such critical questions. I think really unpacking the answers can help trustees understand how to gain stakeholder support, as well as what resources are going to need. I agree. I also think trustees need to be sensitive to those resources needed to institutionalize the change. Mm -hmm. Second place research shows that we fall down in this three-step change or cat cycle. Refreezing is almost as challenging as unfreezing. People sometimes slip back to old ways of doing things because the school fails to provide training needed to succeed. And sometimes policies are framed around old practices, suggesting to folks that the school isn't invested in the new way of doing things. Boards can really help by being open to examining policies and making sure that resources are allocated to support the change. I agree, but boards often feel torn between keeping the status quo as in what makes their school unique or special, and then engaging in those innovative or generative discussions. So how do you see change theory informing this tension? Well, let me invoke a different theorist to answer that question. Edgar Schein, professor emeritus from MIT and a giant in the field of organizational development, writes eloquently about leadership and organizational culture. In particular, he suggests that the most important thing leaders do is help frame and sustain culture. I think a lot of trustees listening would agree based on their experiences in organizational life. What's especially important, Shine observes, is that culture emerges slowly over time as stakeholders experience practices that help them successfully address daunting puzzles that confront them. If our school is seeing declining enrollment, and we address this by implementing an innovative program, which works to solve this puzzle, that solution will be used repeatedly and taught to new people as the proper way of doing things. 
-hmm. Over time, these once novel practices become norms, routines, you know, the way we do things around here. We cling to the status quo because it worked over time to address daunting issues. The conundrum here is that the solution wasn't intended for new problems that may require quite different approaches. That's really an interesting point because it really puts a lot of need for the board chair to be constantly examining you know, the way that they've been solving problems in the past and like looking toward the future and looking at trends and, and figuring out maybe new ways of, of approaching some very difficult and daunting issues, as you said. I couldn't agree more. I think the remedy um, is really quite multifaceted, but it amounts to being open to organizational learning, meaning being willing to examine the challenges facing the school, the ways the environment around us might have changed, and examining evidence and repeatedly asking the why questions as we educate young people and adults. I think NAIS is especially helpful here in playing a role in helping trustees and heads learn what independent schools are confronting as challenges, what schools are doing in response, and how well and under what circumstances things seem to work. I think it's also helpful to think about how this applies to the subcultures. For instance, board chairs can think carefully about the culture of the board itself, how it might be helpful or alternatively stuck in outdated or unhelpful ways of operating. The board chair plays an important role in leading by example here and can encourage periodic reflection on how the board itself operates. This is really important for boards. The signals it's sending to the rest of the organization through its actions and through its way of approaching things is really critical. Mm -hmm. Boards are very visible to stakeholders. A board that's responsive, appropriately transparent in its, in, in its decision-making, respectful to each other and to other stakeholders, and operates efficiently will cast a positive light on the entire school operation. One that's otherwise will do the opposite. In short, what the board does and how the board does it are both important symbolically. So what do you think are some of the typical pitfalls boards face when leading change? I think I've touched on some of the answers to this earlier, but let me jump to one I think is especially troublesome. Changing our school is never quite as easy as mimicking what other schools that appear to be effective might be doing. Learning from other schools may be valuable in helping us understand effective practices, but the utility is really quite limited. Exactly. As you always say, a best practice really works for all schools and all students and in all contexts. I could see how since many of our schools face similar concerns around enrollment and financial sustainability, it might be very tempting to try and emulate those who don't face these same problems. The fact is describing an effective school or school program isn't the same as knowing how to become effective. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. As a sports fan who's dabbled quite unsuccessfully with the game of golf, I can tell you with pretty good precision what a pro golfer does to sink a 35-foot putt in rough weather conditions. However, armed with that knowledge, I still don't think I can sink that putt, <laughs> much less maybe find my ball on the green. Um, this really means that trustees need to slow down sometimes and probe a bit before jumping on the latest bandwagon or trend. Ask the question, what problem would we be solving if we adopted this change? And especially, what unexpected or unplanned consequences might emerge? The educational landscape is full of great ideas that have ultimately flopped in a specific school because that school didn't really fit well with that other school's practices or programs. Our students and families might be very different from another school's. Our teachers and staff may have different talents. 
It would be foolish to pretend that everyone's crystal ball could be accurate and provide a thorough image of what might occur after implementing a change. But just the same, it's worthwhile to do what we call a consequence analysis ahead of time. If we implement this new vision or this new change here, what are the likely repercussions? Are there stakeholders who might feel like winners and others feel like losers? Whose voice might have been missed? What rules, roles, and relationships might actually stand in the way of success? Uh, those are all really great questions, Scott. And this really gets to the heart of taking the opportunity to examine potential pitfalls during implementation and more importantly, how to address them ahead of time. So how do you think boards should think about accountability when planning and leading change? That's a terrific question. And it circles back to the first thing we spoke about. Well, the board's role is big picture, vision, and boards have their own goals and should be monitoring and adjusting their progress toward those goals. The board's also responsible for holding the head of school and his or her team accountable for implementation of operational plans and results. Boards are responsible and accountable for their own role. And I should be clear, I think, about what I mean by accountable. Originally, to be held accountable literally meant to be able to account for one's actions. It didn't necessarily mean reaching a specific goal or outcome, but to be able to explain the logic of action and rationale for decisions made and explain those results. I think that the board can be can and should review and affirm the head of school's operational plans that include timelines and periodic success signals and expect transparency from heads and their leadership teams in terms of sharing answers to the question, where are we and what do we need to do to reach the next stage of implementation? But boards also need to be transparent and desperately understand that action plans, like all plans, change based on reality. And it's both unwise and unfair to beat up leaders for plans needing adjustment. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean, though, that trustees shouldn't ask for explanation and a clear description of what's going to be done to get a plan back on track, or alternatively, how the timeline and goals might need to change. A productive way trustees might think about this is what is the culture of accountability here? Are we promoting organizational learning? We spoke about earlier, mm -hmm. which depends deeply on recognizing and learning from experiences. If we are, we're agreeing that unanticipated outcomes happen and can be productive. A culture that promotes a mindset that mistakes are to be treated punitively can keep a school frozen rather than encouraging innovation. Expect and promote growth, meaning positive change over time, but understand that change can be uneven. Learning from periodic setbacks is critical. Avoiding them altogether is fantasy. Exactly. This is really the heart of what we hope for and ask of our students to do as well. How boards can engage in reflection and self-assessment and helpful tools for doing so will definitely be a topic for a future episode. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about these important issues with us today. And for those interested, Scott and I will be presenting a session on leading plan change at the annual conference later this month in Long Beach, California. And we hope to see you there. Terrific. I can't wait. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.com, and you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you again for listening.